0: Welcome to your go-to Detroit Pistons podcast, the Pistons Pulse, co-hosted by me, Bryce Simon of Motor City Hoops and Detroit Bad Boys, a former D1 Hooper and high school coach, current teacher, husband, and father
1: of three amazing kids. And I'm Amari Sanko for the second Pistons beat writer for the Detroit Free Press. Omari,
0: what day is it? Monday. (laughs)
1: Monday.
0: Amari was texting me before the episode and he was writing an article on... Eugene Amarui, who we will talk about later in the episode, and he's like, guys, I just put Tuesday, it's Monday. I was like,
1: Amari, you're, you
0: don't surprise us with this. We know you never know what day of the week it is.
1: So when I was leaving the game Saturday night, like, it was all these cars outside the arena, and, you know, like, most games are out on the weekends, so I'm like, why, like, why, why is it so busy tonight? What's going on? And it's like, oh, Saturday night, there's traffic from people going out about and whatever. Uh, especially this time of year, the, the day is just blending together. It's just the, the slow march toward the offseason, and then we could get into the broader picture stuff uh, that I know people are clamoring for. And, you know, today we actually get into to some of that. So I'll bounce it back to you, Bryson, that you welcome in our very special guest. Yeah,
0: man, we have a great one, a uh, big friend of the podcast, a good friend of mine I've got to know over the last year or so. He's done a ton for me that I can't even explain all of it. But he is also a very busy man. So we're going to bring on Matt Babcock. I'm going to introduce one thing. He has the Matt Babcock Show brought to you by Tidal League. So that is his pod- podcast, absolutely something you should check out. He goes through his history, his life as a basketball person, his basketball family, all of that. But Matt, first, welcome back to the Pistons Pulse and let everybody know all of the big things you got going on with your world. Hey, first of all, thanks, guys, for having me back. It's always a pleasure to, to, to connect with you guys.
2: And, uh, yeah, just to introduce some of the stuff I've got going on. Like you said, I've got the Matt Babcock show, which, uh, you know, Title League's really done a great job of helping me get that off the ground. And uh, we're, we're looking to scale it out. We, uh, you know, I, I was doing just a number of uh, just solo podcasts, kind of sharing stories and lessons of, of working and growing up in basketball. Uh, but we're starting to travel and uh, do some in-person interviews. Uh, I was in Atlanta recently with the Thompson Twins. Uh, we're gonna be releasing that episode, I, I believe, this Wednesday. Uh, so, you know, just kind of kicking that off. I think we're gonna do some stuff at McDonald's, McDonald's All American Game in Houston as well. But yeah, then I'm also, uh, you know, working with you and your guys now at, at Draft Digest, uh, which is a Sports Illustrated channel on the Fan Nation Network, and uh, kind of brought some of my guys with me too, former NBA scouts Doc Martin, uh, Jason Felipe, and then my my longtime right hand man Derek Murray. Uh, so we, we created a you know bunch of premium premium draft content. Uh, for draft digest and Sports Illustrated. You know my mock draft, my rankings, uh, various analysis, scout reports, and whatnot. Um, then also, uh, you know, Derek and I are working together on Cerebro Sports uh, Analytics Company, and uh, they got you know financial backing from Mark Cuban among other investors. And uh, Derek influenced the company to scale out and add a, a traditional scouting element, uh, which I am leading the NBA draft part of it. And um, yeah, that's that's the that's just the what what I am what doing, and all basketball and as usual, life life is good.
0: What is Cerebro Sports, Matt, for our listeners? I'm familiar with it. I've I've got to utilize it, you know, just because there's a little bit of a connection with Draft Digest. Over at Draft Digest, we use it, you know, got to have a little bit of a partnership with Cerebro. But for our listeners, you know, what did it start out as? And then kind of you talked about how Derek's trying to scale it out. So what was it? And then kind of what is it growing into now? Yeah, so I mean, it's a, it's a
2: relatively new company. I think it's only been around for a year or so. And uh, it started off as uh, an analytics company. You know, I mean, th- think of Moneyball, you know, and so it's, it's pretty much the way they, they sold it to me when I first met Ryan Gerardo, the, the owner and founder, uh, is that they're really trying to create a uh, you know, comprehensive scouting tool uh, for basketball people to use. Uh, you know, not necessarily have it be the end all be all, uh, but just something that could be reliable. And one thing they've done a, a great job at uh, recently is they've aggregated uh, the most data from, from high school games, uh, whether it be, you know, actual high school games or AU, EYBL, whatnot. Uh, and So they've got, they've got data on these kids, uh, you know, extensive data, much more so than, than I think anywhere else has ever done. Like For example, um, like Gr- Grady Dick's a hot name this year for the draft, right? And he's, you know, 6'8 shooter from Kansas. So instead of looking at him, you know, and looking at the metrics from 30 games at Kansas, or you know, whatever amount of games it would be, you know, there's like 100 plus games all the way going back from him being a freshman, sophomore in high school. And so now that those are some, even just looking at the cumulative shooting metrics, you know, field goal percentage, three point percentage, free throw percentage, uh, you know, we're able to look at a, a higher higher volume. Uh, and so just kind of get for me would give me a you know a little more trust in my my ability to evaluate a shooter. Uh, you know, just use, using my eye test. And, uh, so anyway, Derek, Derek's added, uh, you know, the traditional scouting element and, you know, we have got NBA teams as clients, college teams as clients, uh, and, you know, we're, we're providing, you know, sort of old school traditional scouting, uh, but also our ability to gather background information and intel on, on these prospects.
1: One, uh, just everything about Cerebro and I've kind of heard about that, you know, through Bryce, um sounds uh, amazing and you know you've been on this show before uh, it's kind of, it's, it's funny i bet you at some league a few years ago and even talked to you for a couple draft stories um like during the the year after the pandemic if you like 21 i think we met probably a little bit before that so it's just great you kind of do b and bryce individually and now we kind of bring you on and um, we got some you know fun stuff coming up you know today and uh, beyond uh one thing about the draft that we wanted to dive into is that we understand you have a connection with overtime elite and you know, one thing that's sort of shaping a lot of people's draft boards is figuring out level of competition and how uh, you, you know, uh, figure out how to exactly weigh the talent of the Thompson Twins, Asar, and Ahmed. Uh, I guess one, can you kind of talk to us about overtime leap and and your connection and how that's grown over the last year or two. First of all,
2: you know, I, I worked for Overtime Elite. Uh, I, w- I was there six months. Uh, I was a scouting advisor. I was there for six months prior to them publicly launching. Uh, and so I, I was, you know, I was there at the, the first steps of, of it, get, you know, come get off the ground and, uh, you know, help kind of put together the scouting staff and sort of identify the first, first group of players, uh, including the, the Thompson Twins. Um, so, I, you know, I've, I've been... Been there from the ground, you know, kind of helped to build from the ground up. Uh, I stepped away uh, when they started signing players, you know, with my involvement doing so many different things in, in the basketball space. Uh, our scouting staff kind of turned into a recruiting staff, and I just felt felt it was kind of a conflict of interest for me if I wanted to stay in the media and be an NBA draft. You know, so I, I walked away, but uh, I've maintained you know strong relationships with everybody there, uh, and, and the the whole model has changed quite a bit. Uh, you know, when we when we first started there. Um, you know, it was just going to be you know high school age players, uh, not guys in their pre-draft, and it, it quickly changed. I mean, they they signed John Montero, who was draft eligible last year. Uh, and, you know, and one big issue that that I expressed to everybody, including uh, the two owners, Dan Dan Porter and Zach, um, is that you know with with kids having to compromise their their or sacrifice their college eligibility uh, it was going to be hard to, to sign you know 25 30 players a year and have all these kids find success professionally because you know i mean it's one thing for the guys like like the Thompson twins who are you know probable lottery picks uh, but what about these kids that don't have a path to play in the NBA where, you know, where does an 18 year old go? That's not an NBA player. Where, where does he, where does he play? I mean, the G league, that's, that's a tough, that's a tough task for, for an 18 year old, uh, going overseas. I'm not sure professional teams in Europe or, or elsewhere would have that much interest in guys like that. And so luckily, uh, they were able to, to find a loophole to sign kids essentially on like a scholarship type deal and pay them through NIL where they're able to preserve their college eligibility, which has been a total game changer. Cause now, Now, all of a sudden, uh, it's really become more of an academy where these kids are able to uh, utilize like high level resources and facilities uh, make some money legally uh, but also keep their optionality and so um yeah sorry I got a little long-winded there but that's sort of sort of an overtime elite in, in a nutshell
0: no it's perfect that's why hey we bring guests on to be long-winded matt like this is this is me and omari just we're gonna shut up and we're gonna let you cook and do your thing because you're the expert that we're talking to today you brought up the facilities though and I know this is coming out so you can't give away everything but can you give our listeners just a little bit of a sneak Peek into what those facilities are in Atlanta. What what are these kids working with in terms of gyms, weight rooms? Where do they stay? Like, I don't know if you got a chance to see where they sleep and live and eat and and all of those different aspects.
2: Yeah, no, it's and, and you know, I was like I said, I was a part of the the staff uh, from from the beginning before they even decided to, to have it in Atlanta, uh, and so I you know really really saw it unfold, and you know we would have uh, you know kind of company. Uh, Zoom calls where they're giving us sneak previews and all that, and um, you know Tim Tim Cot was the guy that kind of spearheaded the development of the building and dealt with the city and, and, and whatnot, um, and just built an incredible, incredible NBA uh, level facility. Uh, so they've got you have got an arena that's very aesthetically pleasing. I mean the whole the whole model is built for media content. That's how that's how they monetize the the whole league and the whole the whole operation. Uh, it's all it's all based off, you know, content and sponsorship and advertising similar to the NBA. And they just did a big deal with Amazon and all those games are streamed through Amazon, which, you know, is, is a lucrative deal. So the the actual um, uh, arena part of it that that the, the formal games are played in, there's lights, there's, you know, smoke machines, there's an MC. It's it's somewhat it's a, it's a show. And, uh, but that's how they monetize, and that's what how they could justify, you know, having spent so much money on the facility as a whole, which there's a whole other area of, of the arena, uh, that's the practice facility. And, this thing is off the hook. I mean, it's nicer than most NBA's practice facilities, and I mean, it's got multiple floors. They've got you know top-notch weight rooms, uh, training table, you know, uh, you know, uh, re- you know, built-in restaurant, you know, film rooms. Uh, that they, you know, education's a big part of Overtime Elite as well. Dan Porter, um, the owner of Overtime, and, and you know. Overtime Elite, he was uh, president of Teach for America. So education is a big part of his background, and he made a huge emphasis on these kids getting proper education, uh, even though it's, you know, unorthodox uh you know they've really just put put a lot into these guys having all of these high level resources for development all the way around and um i guess sort of the, the give and take there is they do need to make the games kind of kind of a show and you know uh, somewhat of a circus if you will. it's got a little bit of the rucker park type feel with mc and uh, and whatnot but that's how they uh, that's how they keep the lights
1: on in this uh this beautiful beautiful uh facility matt when you look at the the talent um that overtime at least been able to Recruit now. I guess, how does that position uh, the Thompson Twins going into this draft? Right now, they're both sort of in that top 10 uh, sphere with men um, being pretty popular at four or five. Uh, you look at the rosters and you see a lot of highly recruited players. You know, some of them are as young as 15. Uh, you know, the Thompson Twins being 20 years old or on the higher end of that. I guess, how do you? Sort of weigh what they've been able to do this season against the competition, and maybe any concerns that evaluators have. There,
2: you know, competition has been has been somewhat of a, a struggle with overtime lead from, from the very beginning. I mean, they, they've made steps of, of you know, getting other schools involved. I mean, Hillcrest Prep, you know, out of Phoenix, is one example. They got them into the league this year. There was a number of other schools, and so the the competition has increased. Uh, But you know, I mean, you know, I think if there's any any uh, criticism of the program as a whole, it's probably that Uh, from a scouting perspective. I mean, my approach is, even though you know we've got all these freelance you know scouts and NBA drafting analysts on Twitter and whatnot, um, the people that actually going to be making decisions are. Are professionals. I mean, these are MBA level general managers and scouts. And for me, I, I, mean, I like to think that I'm on an MBA level as far as my experience goes. And I'm able to go into a building like overtime leading and get a lot out of it. And so I feel like I've got a great grip. Um, you know, of these players. And, you know, one thing, in, in some ways, I, I have, uh, and not just me, I think people, you know, other people in, in my role with different outlets, uh, Overtime Elite is very welcoming and accommodating. They give us access to the players. We get to know them personally. And we sit right on the floor and watch these kids. And um, I, I think it's a great, you know, great opportunity to, to, to you know, watch these kids uh, as they develop. And, and what's nice is most of these kids are there for a couple of years too. So, I mean, we've got, we've got a pretty large sample size by the time, you know, they're, they're draft eligible.
0: What about the coaching and the training that they're getting there, Matt? I'm sure you probably know some of these guys personally, um, at least the names. How? I, I don't know that we have to compare it to necessarily the G League, which I do want to bring that back up. That was something you mentioned the last time you were on with us. But let's start with just the OT. What? Just the coaching, do they have specific trainers who are working on their individual skills? Like How high level is that? How intensive and intricate is that for them in that program?
2: The lead guy is Kevin Olley, for, former NBA, but I think played in the NBA for 13 years. I mean, just a pro's pro. You, you know, he was the head coach at, uh, at UConn, and they, they won a national championship with him. And so, uh, you know, I mean, if you're comparing this to kids going to the G League or going to school, I mean, they're, they're getting top-notch coaching. And, you know, the I think one big difference, I mean, you're asking the comparison with the G League Ignite, uh, I think, you know... It's really different in the sense that Overtime Elite is much more like an academy. I mean, there's multiple teams. There's a lot of players. There's a lot of coaches. There's a huge support staff. G League Ignite, even though it's part of the G League League as a whole, it is a team. And I think with that, there's pro, there's pros and cons, you know, both ways. I mean, G League Ignite is much more of an intimate situation, like your traditional team, um, you know, and whereas... I think overtime elite. I mean, really comparing it to like a Montverde Academy or an IMG, where they've got multiple teams, they've got you know a a lot, a lot behind it. Uh, But you know, the long story short, uh, the coaching level is very high. I mean, they've got a lot. They've got a large staff, support staff, and so um, them owning the building, really using it just for their players and their and their teams. These kids have access to get on the floor with high level developmental coaches pretty much at any time. And so I really, I really like the back-end part of Overtime Elite, of the resources, uh, the facilities, the support staff. Uh, just from a developmental standpoint, I think at this stage, these guys' you know, careers development is everything you know whether it be learning the game from a guy like kevin ollie whether it be you know pick and roll coverage of you know how things work in the nba or just being able to get on the floor and getting reps or or you know getting into the weight room whenever you want uh you know having you know a good nutrition you know meal plan and things like that and so even though there's a little bit of a give and take of you know questioning the competition or you know them having these smoke machines at mc during the games you know day in day out you know, it's, it's more about what they're doing behind the scenes. And I do th- believe that the resources are there. If the kids were to
1: buy in, that they will improve. You mentioned Mount Verde and uh, IMG sort of as comparisons. That that was actually going to be my, my next question, how I compare it compared to those. How much do you think sort of this entire process, uh, just even beyond the the twins, with some of the other guys who can hear their names called in this draft, and next, how much will the next few months tell us about um, just how successful this program has been at developing talent so far? The, the sample size is
2: small, you know, I, and they, you know, I think that the first year they didn't have quite as much talent as they do this year with the Thompson twins. I mean, the Thompson twins are, uh, in my opinion, elite prospects, uh, and you know, I think the one thing that that I've seen over the course of the period of you know these two years, and talking with their staff about this as well, is that the kids that are proactive and are, are you are willing and able to and sort of make the decision day in doubt day to, to utilize everything that it's worth. Those are the guys that are improving. And so the Thompson twins are a perfect example of that. Uh, they, they have steadily gotten better since they, they stepped foot, you know, on the campus there. And, uh, I mean, especially their bodies. I mean, I, I was, I was there a couple of weeks ago and had a chance to watch the first day, watch them work out and interview them. And then, um, got to spend some time with. Them. I mean, they're 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 really maturing physically, and I don't think that's all natural. I think they're getting getting it done in the weight room. I think they're learning how to take care of their bodies and eat well. Uh, and so, uh, T- Tyler Smith's another guy, I got a chance to spend some time with, and uh, you know, he he's developed this reputation as a worker, and uh, as a result, he's gotten a lot better too. And so, I, I, those those are just you know a few examples, uh, but. Yeah, if, if, the, if the kids go there and they uh, have their heads on straight, everything's there for them to, to get better.
0: Before we go to a short break, Matt, and then talk deep dive into a men and asar. is there another name? You just brought up a name right there. Is there another name that the fan bases and NBA draft people or NBA draft fans should know? Like who's the next guy or next couple guys, whether it's this draft or 2024, maybe it's 2025. Is there a name that really is the next guy that's going to carry the flag for the OTE program?
2: You know, there's a number of guys. I think Alex Sar is an interesting guy. He's the younger brother of Olivier Sar. Um, you know, seven footer, very skilled. Uh, you know, I still like to see him. You know, gain some weight. Uh, but you know, Tyler Smith, like I mentioned, I'm I'm pretty excited about those two guys. I honestly, I could probably keep going on and on. They, they've got so many players in that building. I, you know, Br- Bryson Tiller is a younger guy that I'm keeping my eye on. I mean, he's he's a couple years out. Uh, But yeah, there's a lot lot of talent in in the overtime elite program right now.
0: I love it. And when we come back from this short break, we're going to dive into the two biggest talents in the overtime elite program. I know Pistons fans are excited to hear about Amin and Asar Thompson. We'll talk about those with Matt after this short break.
1: All right, we are back with segment two and we're gonna dive right into uh two of the you know two almost guaranteed battery picks at this point on men and Asar. uh let's start with um who you know like i mentioned earlier he's wildly been back you know somewhere between four five in that range uh, and you kind of mentioned just how the these two are as prospects earlier but what stands out about a Men's game to you and where is he sort of in your tier list right now
2: there's so much about a man that, that to like I mean he's very well rounded and I think the you know the big the big hole in his game is his outside shooting I mean that's not that's no secret I mean everybody's able to identif- identify that pretty quickly uh, however I, I don't I don't think it's entirely broken I don't think it's a lost cause and having gotten to know him personally uh, you know, I, I mentioned you know he's a worker you know he's really developed all the way around uh, and he has improved as a shooter slowly but surely and so I think he'll get there uh, as far as his strengths go I mean this is the 6-7 Olympic Level athlete that essentially does a little bit of everything else. Uh, you know, if you want, want him to be the point guard, he could do that. If you want to play the two, the three, and then on the defensive end, he has a chance of being an elite, uh, you know, locking people up and, and defending multiple positions. And, uh, I'm just very, very excited about a man. And, you know, and, and uh, yeah, everybody asked me about about comps, right? And you know, when I'm looking at the high side of what a man can can do, if he if he really you know gets everything clicking, and we're talking about elite names, at least that pop him in my mind. I mean, I'm thinking Scottie Pippen, Grant Hill. He's got a little bit of LeBron to him. He's not quite as big, but I mean, he, but he's he's a big on ball, do it all elite athlete. And so, uh, to me you know, the the upside is, is there. I mean, you know, is he going to develop to be one of these, you know, all-time greats? I don't know. T- time will tell. I mean, that, that's that's a lot to put on an 18-year-old's plate. Uh, but but I, I am excited
1: about, about the potential for sure. So you do see him as being, I guess if we're talking about the top guys, I think uh, people have Victor in his own tier and then, uh, you know, some order scoop, Brandon Miller on um, that. For you, I guess what does he fall in that hierarchy?
2: Victor, I think, is clear-cut the, you know, the, the, the player that everybody's got pencil number one. Not, it seems like Scoot's number two, which I, I fall in the same boat. Uh, I think men's right there. I, I think Scoot, men, Brandon Miller, uh, Asar's probably not too far off either. I think that's sort of the next grouping. Um, you know, I, I, But I am on the same page of probably Victor, Scoot, and then either Brandon or men being that third guy.
0: Can you talk about where he is as an athlete? Because I've heard people say like he walks in and he is a one percent, like literally one percent athlete, top five in the NBA. Because I think Matt, so, uh, the reason I want to clarify this, I think sometimes we say elite athletes, and Pistons fans are gonna be like, well, Hamadou Diallo is an elite athlete. I think we're talking about a different level of athlete with Amin Thompson, or at the very least, he's able to use his athleticism in a better way that makes it more practical. Am, am I off there?
2: I think you're spot on and I you know he's he's one of the best athletes I've ever seen and you know and one thing too is it's not like he's just fast or he jumps higher just does one thing or another he's a well-rounded I mean I, I mentioned before he's He's an Olympic level athlete. I mean, this kid could be a track star. He could be a football player. He could do whatever he wants. I mean, this guy is, elite and he's getting he's getting to be very strong. I think when he becomes like a grown man and say 25 years old, this guy's gonna be like an animal. A, 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 you know, multi positional athlete handles it and just a total stud all the way around. And um, and, that, and that's where you know kind of comes into play. I mentioned LeBron, which you know is it fair to put put any any name with with LeBron? Probably not. But you know, a six seven kid that's a do-it-all guy, that's one of the best athletes we've ever seen. I mean, that's how LeBron was, and he just got a lot better at everything, right? And so, uh, but yeah, long story short, elite, elite athlete.
1: You mentioned the jump shot being workable, and that seems to be the thing that people are most worried about. Let's say he doesn't become a good jump shooter, sort of how much would that lower his ceiling? And obviously, does you know, beating his potential, rely on him at least having some semblance of a workable jump shot?
2: I don't know if he's ever going to get to the point where he's a pure shooter. You know, let's say on on the on the low side, say he, do, he doesn't progress as much as you'd hope. I still think he's going to be a really good player. I mean, you know, he does so much, uh, you know, on, on the ball. So, I mean, I think he's good enough to be an on ball creator, which. You know, the way the NBA is played right now, I do think there's room for having at least one guy that, that doesn't necessarily have to stretch the floor, especially if the, if the ball's in his hands. Uh, and then obviously defensively, I mean, I, I think he's got a chance of being, you know, one of the premier uh, perimeter defenders. And so, yeah, I mean, I, th- it's certainly a swing skill. And I, I do think there's direct correlation with his overall success in his outside shooting. Uh, but I, I don't think it's necessarily a, a make or break it type, type, type thing.
0: Let's talk some Pistons specific here, Matt. So how does Amin Thompson fit with Cade Cunningham and Jaden Ivey? And, and we don't even have to go to who the other bigs on the court would be. I know there's a lot of jokes going around right now. You know, they're trying to play these two bigs. It, regardless of who the two bigs are, Matt, whether it's Duran, whether it's Stu, whether it's whoever, what do you think about the trio of a Cade Cunningham, Jaden Ivey, and Amin Thompson? I mean,
2: in a lot of ways, it really excites me. I mean, that that is a very versatile group, very dynamic, I mean, each one of them. And I, I think all of them kind of fall in the same category of, okay, h- how much do they progress over the next couple of years as outside shooters? Because, I mean, if, in, in a world where they all progress, I mean, that could be an elite trio. I mean, good luck matching them with those three guys, right? And I think defensively, there'd be a lot of versatility too. You know. Kate's probably the least athletic of the three uh, I, I men and, and Jaden Ivy. I mean, they, they could mix and match like who they're guarding. I just, it, uh, it's pretty interesting. And then offensively, I mean, it's three guys uh, that could play on and off the ball, especially if a man can get it to where he's hitting shots at a little bit of a higher rate, uh, but yeah,
1: just potentially very,
2: very dynamic and, and versatile
1: group. So you don't see a lot of fit issues with those three, just, um, You know, is that just the overall playmaking flurry that they have and just overall versatility meshes pretty well? Does it concern you that uh, Ivy, he shot the ball better than I think a lot of people would have expected this year, but Probably those guys have yet to prove that they can be plus shooters uh, over the first event entire season. I
2: think the game, the NBA game has really evolved and changed in recent years where there's not as much of a demand for having a traditional true point guard or floor general. I mean, a lot of teams are liking having multiple ball handlers and creators. And so I think in a world where you're getting these kids to shoot it at least enough, uh, I think with the, the open open floor and the game being played faster, uh, I mean, I, I could see a world where they all can coexist and, and thrive. Uh, but again, I mean, outside shooting is, is so important with with, with, the, with all three of these kids' development.
0: You kind of touched on it a little bit there, Matt, but I know a lot of Pistons fans are going to say, well, Cade needs the ball in his hands. Jaden needs the ball in his hands. Doesn't Amin need the ball in his hands to be successful? Well, how, how would you kind of answer that in terms of, one, does Amin have to be the primary creator? I think no, based off kind of how you've pitched him as this versatile player. And is there enough opportunities where all three of those guys can play with the ball in their hands at times?
2: I think there's there's room for, I mean, I, I don't think, you know, teams necessarily need to, or, or should play, let's say how, how Dallas is using Luka or Milwaukee uses Giannis. I mean, the usage rate's probably too high. They're putting too much pressure on on these individual players. And yeah, yeah, yeah it you know, might be great for their individual stats, but at the end of the day, this is about wins and losses, right? So I think having three guys that that are versatile, um, you know, I, I do think it could work. And I, I don't think, I mean, especially with with Amen and, and Ivy, they are both so incredibly athletic. I think playing with other dynamic players, now all of a sudden you'll be able to utilize their their finishing abilities. I mean, Amen Thompson, I mean, this guy can jump out of the gym and he's got what are all the kids call he's got all the jelly and all that, all that stuff too, right? So like I mean, putting him in spots where he can be a, a, a scorer. Uh, even though he's he's I think naturally wired to be a facilitator, I mean he's got he's got the potential of being a high level scorer as well, just because of his athleticism and, and ability to finish around the rim.
0: How good is the passing, Matt? Because I watch the what I have watched of him, I like it. I think he is a good passer. I think he reads the floor well. What what do you think about the passing, the creation in general? Because I, I like it. I think it can be really good. And in similar to Jay Ivy, he doesn't even have to be this extremely high level read guy. He's gonna put so much pressure on the rim draw so much defense all he has to do is be able to make the easy read which is what we've seen Jay Nivey do in his rookie season.
2: No, 100%. I mean that that's that's Jay Nivey in a nutshell right there whereas I, I don't think he's a natural passer. He's not doesn't have like a knack of delivering the ball, you know, r- r- real easily to to his teammates, but he, he's also an elite athlete, and he gets to his spots, draws the defense in, just makes simple reads like you mentioned. Uh, I, I think just, I mean, comparing the two, uh, Amen is, is is much further ahead than Jaden in that regard of being just sort of like a natural point guard as far as delivering on passes and playmaking. Uh, I, I think it's, you know, it comes to him naturally and I, I'm, I'm assuming we're going to talk about his brother here in a minute, and that's, that's probably the big separator between him and his brother as well is that Amen's just, you know, wired more like a point guard and just as a natural facilitator.
1: And we can and get to a star now, uh, because he's pretty highly regarded. You're you're pretty high on him as well. Uh seen as more of a wing than a an on ball guy like Amin is I guess for you, what's the is that the key differentiator between them and what stands out about a star as a prospect individually?
2: They're identical twin brothers. So, I mean they have all you know pretty similar Physical tools, right? I mean, I think that I've heard some people try to talk about like there's this big difference between a man and a SAR athletically. Like, I'm, I'm not, I'm not seeing that. I mean, I, I, I'm in Atlanta. I've, I've met them, what, two or three times now. I can't even tell them the difference when they're walking around stuff. I mean, these guys are the same size. I mean, a, a SAR might be slightly bigger and more physical, but they both, they both have the potential of being elite perimeter defenders, have similar types, you know, natural skill sets. I think a lot of the big difference uh, for me, and I actually asked them this in, the, in their interview. Um, you know, the big difference for me is that a man is wired to be more of a facilitator. How he approaches the game, and a star is a little bit more of a wing scorer. You know, get to the rim and finish. Uh, you know, just as a you know from a you know comp standpoint uh the the comp i came up with Asar, and i've heard somebody else say this too is he's got, he's a little bit in the andrew wiggins mold i do think he's got better ball skills uh and may, you know a little bit more versatility but he he's he's you know di- uh, you know how he differs from on men is he plays a little bit more like andrew as, as far as being more of a scorer and slasher and, and finisher and and defender uh which i mean to me you know both types of players fit fit the game well if they can hit outside shots at a decent rate right so it's a lot a lot of the same stuff i was saying about amen uh, uh, the the same areas for development it all fits a sar too even though i think they're different different style of players
0: Having seen him in person, and we'll speak obviously specifically to Asar now, how much do you believe in the shot? Just And also, Matt, because I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I've talked to you about this. Can you also speak to the type of kids these guys are, the type of prospects they are in terms of workers and coachable and competitors and all of that stuff? So can you kind of merge those together? One, how much do you believe in Asar's shot, just where it's at right now? And how much of that maybe belief is because you got to sit down and talk with them and see how they are
2: yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, you and I have talked about this quite a bit. Uh, you know, I, I, I feel like I'm uh, I'm somewhat u- unique in this draft space because, you know, all my my various involvement, you know, we, we didn't even touch on half the stuff that I'm doing. But I, I do get access um, and, and, you know, I, I get to know a lot of these players directly, get to know their parents. Uh, and, you know, having some of this intel and, and you know, I- insider information, if you will, uh, does kind of lead, you know, my, you know, influence my evaluations of players quite a bit. Uh, Because, I mean, just like anything, not even just basketball, but somebody that's got their head on straight that does X, Y, and Z to improve, usually that's the recipe for success. And have, you know, having gotten to know a men in Assar and, and learned about, about the, you know, their personalities and their background, uh, every indication is that these kids will improve all the way around. Uh, they seem very serious about mastering their craft, uh, no, no non types, type of kids, like high, high character. Uh, and, they, and they both seem like men- mentally tough kids as well. And so I, I don't see any reason why they can't develop into being at least you know, respectable shooters. Uh, And so again, they they check off pretty much all of the other boxes. So if that's the only issue that that there is, and and my confidence level is high enough to think that they can get over the hump, uh, you know, that's that's sort of you know why I have them so high.
1: How would a star fit with this Pistons team, just given that? You know, he is more of the the finishing type compared to a man who's more of the on ball, make decisions with the ball type.
2: You know, they they both could fit just about anywhere because of their their, their uh, versatility. You know, I mean, defensively, but coaches are going to love love them right off the bat because they play hard, they're coachable, and they'll defend everybody. Um, you know, again, it, I think so much is going to determine how you know. For each of them, how how well they're hitting shots from outside, and so I think with with you know Cade and Ivy, uh, Asar naturally falls into more of that wing spot, you know wing defender, you know finisher, rather than being sort of hey splitting you know on ball creation uh, type opportunities, and, and not that Asar can't do it at all, it's just not quite as much as Amen. men, uh, but you know a lot a lot of the same strengths that Amen brings to the table, I think he provide a lot a lot of versatility uh, to a Pistons group.
0: I don't mean to put you on the spot, Matt. So don't hate me for this, but I got to ask. Pistons are on the clock at three and you're the GM or you're, you're, you're giving Troy Weaver, you're in his ear. Brandon Miller. Amen Thompson, a star Thompson. Well, I, w- I will say this: that that would be a great problem
2: to have, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. It's a. Uh, I mean, I mean, was, to me, those are all three really high-level players. That, you know, the, the top part of this draft, I'm really, really excited about. Uh, and, and I, I got to be completely honest: you, I'm not trying to deflect or dodge the question. Here. I'm not quite sure. I, I'm I'm a little torn on a men and Brandon Miller. Br- Brandon Miller is a guy I'm really high on as well. Very different than a, a men. I mean, I think there's there's. I mean, I'm more than than willing to. To listen to the debate that Brandon Miller should be the third pick, especially on the Pistons team, uh, because of his style of play with outside shooting. And it'd be easy to pencil him in with two on-ball creators uh, with, with Cade and, and Ivy. Uh, and not, not that Brandon Miller can't create off the dribble as well. I mean, I don't know if you watched the game yesterday. I mean, they're, they're playing a point guard essentially. Uh, but but yeah, I think you know where he hangs his hat is, is as a, a shooter and an NBA style shooter. I mean, they're running them off screens. They're running like NBA type sets for him. You know, movement shooting. Uh, uh, you know, I mean, again, very good problem to have if you're Troy
1: Weaver. <laughs> and man, I did want to bounce this off you as well. But uh, with our men and Asar being 20 years old and, you know, over time elite, they're sort of on, on the top end of age in that group. Does that factor into your evaluation as well? And if not, I guess to what extent?
2: I look at age to, to a certain extent. I mean, I think, I think people uh, in, in recent years get caught up in it a little bit too much. I, I don't let it sway me dramatically either way. Uh, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, an 18-year-old is a, is a young player. A 20-year-old is still a young player. You know I mean? There, there's still a lot of room for growth. And, you know, for, for, for either, either direction, um, you know, still a young player that hasn't been in an NBA weight program or had NBA coaching day in, day out. Uh, and so uh, I think there's still significant upside uh, for a guy that's in the draft that's 20, 21 years old. Uh, obviously, we got, you know, guys, what was the one guy at, uh, at Memphis who's 26 years old? That's, that's, that's a different way, uh, DeAndre Williams. You know, I mean, we're talking about a 20-year-old, and a 25-year-old. Okay, that, that's that's something that I think that does make an impact. But if we're talking about just a year or two, I, 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 still, I still see these as very, uh, very young, young players.
0: And to that point, Brandon Miller is actually 20 years old as well. And I'm not saying like, again, I don't think we should like critique these guys because of it, but often we talk about the Thompson twins being 20, but we don't also bring up that Brandon Miller is 20 as well. I have one question. I know we got to get you out of here, Matt. Thank you so much for your time. I know you're obviously super busy, man. We've talked about the Pistons and just in general, we had you on before the trade deadline. They obviously don't move Boyan Bogdanovich and they do end up essentially trading Sadiq Bey for James Wiseman. Can we just get your quick thoughts on that? And then, of course, we're going to have you back on before we get to the offseason and break that all down and, and do that again. But your quick thoughts on those two moves and not move, I guess, um, there at the trade deadline for the Pistons.
2: Yeah, that was interesting. I mean, you know, the, the, you guys are, are keeping a much better pulse on the Pistons than I am, obviously. But, uh, you know, it seemed like there was rumors about them possibly moving on from, from Bay for, for a while, uh, which, I mean, I think part of that is them having this, this pending up, upcoming high lottery pick where... You know, this is a draft filled with a lot of talented players that are all wings, right? I mean, there's, I mean, we go down the list of different guys. Even if they were to slip, I mean, the guys they're probably going to be looking at are, are are big wings. You know, Anthony Black or you know Cam Whitmore. Uh, and so I think they're they're you know probably looking at adding one of these players that we've mentioned uh, and adding an, another young big uh, that's got significant upside. I mean, obviously things have not gone well so far for him. But I mean, how, how old is Wiseman? 21 years old. I mean, he's, he is a young guy that at one point was penciled in as, as the likely number one pick in that draft. And uh, so I, I like it. I mean, I think it's a calculated risk. Uh, but if they feel confident they can get it out of Wiseman, you know, I mean, he, he you know, if it clicks, I mean, he fits what they're what they're doing, and you know, add this high lottery pick. Uh, you know, I I really like what the Pistons have in place, and you know, I think the last time I was on the show, you know, we kind of talked about the Pistons timeline. And if I were Troy personally, I wouldn't be in a rush. I mean, I think this needs to be a program where they're looking about development over these next couple of years. And if they could start winning games at a high rate, hey, that's just a that's cherry on top.
0: All right, Matt, man, uh, we got to get you out of here. We appreciate it so much. Before you go, please let everybody know what you're doing, where they can find you, the podcast, the writing, all of that. And we got to make sure that we talk about when Draft Digest Pro is going to go live. Yeah,
2: sure. So, yeah, first off, you can find me on social media, mainly Twitter and Instagram, at the same username, uh, Matt Babcock Eleven. Uh, the Matt Babcock Show, which is uh, produced by Title League, you find that on whatever platform you you know you, you use to, to get your get your podcast, uh, and then Draft Edge as Pro. Um, it, we're launching it April tenth. Uh, It's going to be part of Draft Digest, which is a channel for Sports Illustrated and the Fan Nation Network. Uh, Really looking forward to getting that going. So yeah, stay stay tuned. We got uh got the pre-draft right around the
0: corner here, Bryce. Yep, I know. I'm excited, Matt. Thank you again, and everybody listening, stay with us. We are going to come back. Me and Amari are going to come back for segment three, and we're going to talk about Eugene Amarui. We may talk some RJ Hampton and the Pistons in general.
1: All right. We're back with segment three. And before we get into some RJ Hampton and Eugene Omarui, uh, a little bit later in the segment, uh, I believe we have a new review, Bryce. Uh, so actually, before the review, uh, somebody on uh, Twitter had a funny observation. So I'll let you be off with that one.
0: This is one of the better Twitter comments where we we've been added before, Amari. Which I I love when we someone adds us on Twitter. And I was shocked that your mom was the only one that called me out about the gyro thing from last episode. Um, we could add we could loop that into all of this food conversation. And we will, like Amari said, we will talk some real piss and stuff. And again, thank you to Matt Babcock. This was from Jeffrey Cameron, and he tweeted at me and Amari. My 12 year old was putting chips on his sandwich at lunch today, and when asked about it, he said. Quote, Omari does it. I figured you'd probably want to know how impactful your pod truly is. Changing lives one episode at a time, Omari. Changing
1: lives, changing lives. That 12 year old's life will never be the same. You know, it's, it's funny because I don't like, I don't put, I'm, I'm not going to push chips on my sandwich a lot, but I advocated for it. And now that is part of my brand and my identity. So I'll own it, I'll wear it. I'm the chips and sandwich guy. I haven't done it in a while, but I would, I'll still be the, the champion. Um, it, and anything that that gives me a win on this podcast, I I will take anyway. So. Uh, thank you so much for sharing that story Uh, I use it to tease Bryce as I usually do
0: No, I love it man, I was so (laughs) excited whenever I saw that and I was like man we got 12 year olds listening to the podcast, we have grown men listening to like, I just love it, we're we're for all ages Amari, I truly feel like that you know we've said like one cuss word on the podcast and it was the title of a TV show, you know and we had to make sure everybody knew it wasn't even the actual words so um, we're, we're family friendly over here at the Pistons Pulse brought to you by the Detroit Free Press and we did have a new Rating and review, five star on Apple. Again, send those in. We're getting close, Amari. We're close to 200 ratings on Spotify. We're at like 179. So if you haven't left a rating over there, please do. Let's hit that 200 mark. But this was from Rusty2Iron. He says, great podcast. I like a lot of basketball podcasts, but I especially enjoy this one because they discuss how the game is played, positioning, plays, etc. In addition to talking about who's on the team and who might be joining in the future, plus it's focused on my favorite team, Detroit basketball.
1: I always love when we get reviews. and. To hit 200 before the end of the season would be, would be fantastic. I don't want to put a, a, a deadline on the amount of love you all show us. I'm just, I'm just putting it out there. That would be awesome. So if you <laughs> like the show, have any feedback you want to give us, uh, feel free. I mean, we're on Spotify, we're on Apple, uh, we're on everything else. So please give us that, that feedback. We love it. it. Keeps us going. And we always like talking to you all and giving people shout outs as well. That's always fun.
0: Absolutely. Amari, we got another story. Like, I didn't even know this happened yeah. on Saturday with you and Wes. And Wes, is, this is awesome. I'm so excited. So um, I have no idea where this story is going to go <laughs> or what happened or what went on. So um, let, let the listeners know how this all went down. Yeah,
1: Wes and his dad, Mike, um, were at Saturday's game against the Pacers. And, and we went and grabbed some food uh, before the game. So I got to beat Wes's dad, Mike, Uh Awesome guy, I'm a, I'm a big fan of Mike that he had on his Pistons post T-shirt. I do my know, yes, so he had, no. You know some Pistons post synergy going. I actually got to get my I got to get my parents some some Pistons merch. When so I saw his T-shirt, I was like, oh, that's yeah, I should probably get on that. <laughs> they they are they are pizza guys. Uh, you know, West stop like day before, a couple days before, like where are we going to go eat? And I was like, we should get we should get something Detroit centric. We ended up going to Grandma Bob's and in Quirk's for uh, pizza, and I think, like I, I think West was a little bit of a skeptic going in. Uh, you know, he's got some, he's got some Chicago ties, and you oh, know, yeah, yeah. And I think everybody is always tied to the pizza that they grew up eating, right? Or you know, or at least the pizza that they experienced more of growing up. Wes, he said, the pizza was really good. Uh, we got two uh, mediums. We got a spicy pepperoni with hot honey, uh, which was my recommendation because I'm a I'm a hot honey on pizza guy. Uh, just bought some day, the other week actually. Hot honey is amazing. Mike's hot honey, and then we got just uh, supreme, some and and it was good. It was good. They they both agreed that it was it was great pizza. They agreed that the crust was the best part because Detroit style is all about the bread, whereas most pizzas are about the, the toppings. But Detroit style bread is... Top tier, it's buttery crispy. It's got the, the the burned edges, like it's the star of the show. And it was good. You know, we just sat down and, and talked shop for a little bit. And we 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 just need more synergy. Like we need more parents in the phone. Like I love for you guys to meet my parents. Like Bryce, maybe we can accept my parents. We come to the train in a few weeks, but we gotta we gotta make this a, a, a thing. We gotta keep this going.
0: I love it. Like th- this is truly showing the listeners how much this has become like friendships and lifelong friends, no matter where the podcast goes, where it takes it. This is the coolest part of all of it. I will say, hot honey on pizza, you just ruined a 12-year-old's pizza life for the rest of their life because that is ridiculous. And we're not gonna debate it. All I'm gonna say, Anjanette, Kirk, I don't know why Omari's on the Pistons beat. He should be on the food beat <laughs> in Detroit or what I don't I don't know what the free press has to offer with that. But Amari, let's talk some Detroit Pistons basketball. Eugene Amarui, man, I feel like people really like this guy. He's shown some stuff. What have been your first impressions of the kid? He And, and for the record, he just got his second 10-day.
1: Yeah, I mean, recording this Monday afternoon, uh, uh, you know, the team made an official today. He signed his first one on March uh, 3rd, so uh, exactly 10 days after. Uh he's he's been good. I think anytime you have a guy that comes into the season this late, like even, you know, a player coming in at, at the trade down, it's just so late you never really know what to expect. Obviously they'll acclimate themselves or um, you know, just coach staff figuring out how to utilize them correctly. You're still going through Dr. James Wiseman to an extent. Uh but he came in and he plays a very simple brand of basketball. He just comes in, he brings energy, he defends, he hustles, uh like he's he's around a charge, like the offensive rebounding, uh, he's reached double figures, like the scoring has been there. Just as a Swiss Army knife type of guy, I think he's really uh filled that that robe with pride and has given his Pistons team a little more fight and edge, which you know, like they've dealt with injuries all, all season, so you know, it's kinda of tough. But uh for him to come in and I think just his energy as defense really stands out and, you know, Dwayne's complimenting him, James Wiseman's complimenting him, he's winning the respect of his teammates is a really cool story and you know, and just basketball-wise it appears to hear what you've you've thought of him so far, Bryce, but I think just for a guy coming in on a 10-day and doesn't know what's going on, just has to go out and play. He's not exactly what you would want to see.
0: No, I liked him. Like, I'm intrigued yeah. because what what I like Omari is he's shot a couple threes, right? Like, he's, like, 38% from three. So it's not, like, a ton. It's not a super high volume. As you look at the games, like, one out of three, one out of two, you know? So I'm not saying it's, like, oh, my gosh, this guy's a shooter, but I... You know, if he was just making hustle plays and just trying to take charges and didn't have any real skill level, it would make me a little more skeptical. I've seen enough so far. And, And we always have to give that like that was barely the Pacers set out all their dudes on Saturday as well. You know, like we're getting into the point of the season where even the other teams aren't playing their guys. So we also have to consider level of competition. But just watching him play, I feel like he moves and has the skill. Like, I'm interested in him as a four-man, you know? Like, that would be a nice change-up. Now, am I going to sit here and tell you I want him to be the starting four-man? Like, no, that's crazy. I don't even think I would want him to be the second-unit four-man Omari. But when you talk about rounding out this roster with 11th, 12th, 13th guys, I'm intrigued. And if if he likes being in here and he wants to be a part of it, obviously the contract is going to be super easy. Maybe he can take up one of the two-way spots. I'm not exactly sure how all of that works. If he like would be eligible, but you know, a two-way spot, maybe he, you know, the 15th guy, like I'm interested. That's what I'll say. I'm definitely interested.
1: Yeah. I mean, he's definitely been intriguing. Uh, I've been, I've been intrigued by the, the shot making, like not just yeah. things happen um, on the offensive glass, but he's gotten a couple of threes to fall. And, uh, he had a coast-to-coast layup in transition uh, Saturday night, and he's he's just showed a little bit more juice uh, just as a scorer than I expected coming. Not that I had any expectations. I mean, you know, I can't say. With any player on like a 10-day, more often than not, you probably haven't to seen him to play much, if at all, before they get to the team. So uh, I really didn't have that much of a framework for what he could and couldn't do before he came to the Pistons. But uh, he didn't really shoot the three very well in the G League, and he was overall pretty efficient. But – I think just how he's been able to consistently make an impact in that area. Uh, just come in and, I mean, to defend and rebound what he's doing, like, that's been great. But a lot of a lot of times those guys struggle to kind of find their their shots. I thought Arjun could have that issue early. We'll talk about him, uh, just finding the bottom of the net. But uh, he had 15 points against the Wizards. He had nine points a game after that. I think he had 11 against the Wizards Saturday night. And he's averaging like 18 minutes a game. Like, this is... Pretty good scoring for the minutes he's been playing, and it's become pretty consistent in his last three games. I I think that's kind of surprised me.
0: And it's again, it's all super small volume, Omari. So like this, we may change our our minds by next week, right? Like we're we're about to do that with RJ Hampton, I would imagine, because last week we're like, yeah, we don't know. Data changes, Omari. People's opinion changes. That's how it works. Right now, we have a what five six game five game eighteen minutes a night data. For Eugene Amarui, the three-point shot has looked decent. The free throw percentage in a small sample has been really good, which is like, okay, maybe there's some real shooting touch here. I like some of the defensive possessions. We've seen him switch out on guys, stay in front. I mean, obviously, he's going to play hard because he's on a 10-day. He's trying to earn the next 10 days. So it's like, what does he do outside of those things? And some of that stuff has looked good. So right now, with the data we have, Omari, I'm like, yeah, like I wanna see him play on this team the rest of the season. I wanna see him get twenty five minutes here in three weeks when I'm out there for those two games and see him in person and see where it goes from
1: there. Yeah, I agree. I think it's always fun when you have a guy that comes in, you know, late into the season and this is the the quietest part of the year, you know, for a team that's I mean, the Pistons are fifteen wins, obviously not a whole lot to, to play for. But we bring a player in, we have something to prove and uh they're just doing all the small stuff nobody else is, is is doing, right? Like Hami was doing a lot of that stuff and I endeared him, you know, to Pistons fans and now uh Eugene has kind of stepped into that. Like he's not the same player as Hami, just kinda of coming in and making those hustle plays. Uh, you know, it's it's great. It brings energy, it brings a little bit of excitement. Uh like you said, small sample size, so it's tough to say you know, exactly what he would do over a larger sample size. Like, you know, I've like, I'm I'm a fan of his game and, you know, I don't see this putting him down at all. But, you know, I saw people saying like I've seen two people in my mission say, This guy has some Draymond green and and 'em and I'm just like, yeah yeah, that's <laughs> you know, that's let's that's wait see a, l- a little bit longer, right? You know, somebody else is like, Oh yeah, they need to go ahead and income to a three or four year year deal and this but that it, it just shows just how much this can up a team this late in the season that uh, absolutely. Like, I would like to see, I mean, I'm sure the Pistons at, at this point, he's done so much. He's probably earned the chance to come back, you know, join the summer league roster, training camp, whatever. Like, let's just see what he has. You always have those guys who are, you know, maybe on the fringe making the roster, but they have something to prove. And, you know, there may be a little bit more to his game. Like, why not see if he can sustain it over a longer period of time? He's shown enough, I think, in the last two weeks that you're intrigued by what he can go go from here.
0: Yeah, and we had this question asked to us on Twitter this morning was, does he make Hami expendable? One, I don't think it's one-to-one, but two, him and Hami are kind of in, obviously, Hami is much more proven. But to me, like with Hami, it's if Hami will come back on the right contract and accept his role, And what I believe his role should be, which is like, again, 11th, 12th, man. Like, these are the guys I would love to see be uh, players 11 through 15, Omari. Like, these are the type of guys where I think you, like, yeah, you got to have a veteran or two, but I would love to see a Hamadou Diallo, a Eugene Amarui. And then the next guy we're going to talk about, RJ Hampton has started to show enough as well. It's like, Okay, maybe you don't want him in the rotation, but whenever somebody's hurt, when somebody needs a rest, you know, these are the guys that can come in and fill those roles. And so I think, obviously, Hami has proven that throughout the entire year. Unfortunately, I would guess we probably don't see him again this season. But Amarui's shown it. And then RJ Hampton. And again, since the last time we recorded... Hampton has played really well. He's played four games. He had a five steal game, and he scored in du- double digits two of those games, I believe, and eight points in two of the others, and started to knock down some threes. So the data changed a little bit. The sample size grew, and he's finally starting to show a little bit.
1: No doubt. I definitely see Eugene and Hobby in similar roles. And, you know, I think Hobby has shown a lot more. I mean, we've been watching him for the last two seasons, so he spent a much longer span of time to. Show what he could do, but to me, they do occupy pretty similar roles. And I guess we're the Pistons, and uh, you feel like Omar Rui, Rui's shown enough to you know carry him into the main roster next season. Maybe there is a decision to make there because usually, and I think it's a little bit bigger. He's probably got a little bit more utility on defense, um, you know. I, but Hami, I mean, he's just been so efficient this year, and just what he's been able to do as a rebounder of his size, and just the, the spark plug. Uh, like I think that's a really hard job to bring that type of energy every night and Hobbies have done it. So we don't need to pit those guys against each other quite yet, but you know, I think it is an, an intriguing thought process uh, which, which skill set of those two to value a little bit more.
0: What do you think about RJ Hampton, Amari, and, and his play over the last week, I guess, since the last time we talked about him, where essentially we were like, eh, we, we don't know. We haven't seen a whole lot.
1: Yeah, I think he's been a lot better. I think what is interesting is i I don't know if I really know what type of player he is. Uh, like, he's hit some threes here and there. Uh, I don't think he's moved the ball particularly well, but, you know, he has hit some some, some key shots for him down the stretch. Uh, he gives you some some size in that backcourt. Uh, he's a, a plus athlete. Uh, he hasn't really had any real moments of, uh, like, where that athleticism has, has popped either. Uh, you know, so I still feel like I'm getting a feel for where he is as a player, but uh, he's definitely made more of an impact in the scoring column over his last few games that uh, after a pretty slow start you're starting to see uh, some more signs of life
0: yeah that's a good point i still don't know who he is either you know like you talk about Hami, it's like energy athleticism you know that's what he does isaiah livers knock down threes and play you know really good team defense like you can go through a lot of these guys and you know exactly who they are and with rj hampton even though he has played better. So I'm not trying to take away from how he's played. But if you said, who is RJ Hampton? We kind of alluded to this on the last episode. I don't know who he is. He had that five steal game, but I don't think he's had a steal since. So, you know, it looked like for a second, okay, he's going to be this defensive disruptor. You know, is he a high level athlete guy? Well, we haven't seen those explosive plays. So I think there's still a little bit of, you know, even though he shot the ball well, are, are you going to say R.J. Hampton's a floor-spacing, you know, three-point shooter? I don't know that either of us believe that. So I think there's still a little bit of figuring out, like, who is he, and therefore what role does he actually fill for your team?
1: Yeah, like he's got two assists and one turnover in his last three games, and he's played between 15 to 20 minutes in each of those. not a huge sample size, but, you know, for a guy who's probably more on-ball than off-ball, you'd have to see a little bit more playmaking, and that just hasn't really... Uh, been there, uh, like I would wager he's probably got about the same amount of assists and turnovers since he's been here, maybe a few more just because of that cold start. So, uh, still very much figuring things out. One thing I will say is that he has four, uh, free throw attempts in each of his last three games. Then he also had four, uh, two games prior to that. And, and, you know, in like not playing that many minutes, right? He's playing like 17, 18 minutes a a night. So that is notable. He can't get to the rim and. If we're talking about this stuff, it's has been burst. You kind of see it in how he's maybe to get to the rim a little bit. But uh, you know, especially with Jaden Ivy out, uh, it kind of clears a path for him to really uh, show what he could can could do. And you know, recording this before Monday's game, so maybe you know by Tuesday morning he would have gone off like twenty and ten or something. And this sort will of age poorly. But just want to comp- I see him being more ag- aggressive. He's kind of deferring to other guys and tried to like find his own role. But with the Pistons being as battered as they are right now, if you have seven rotation guys who are Not playing right now. Uh, I mean, if I'm RJ, I'm like, you know what? Let me just go out and show what I I can do, right? Like, take 10 shots, like, you know, throw some passes, just flex out a little bit. You know, you've been here for a few weeks now. Just kind of spread out and show what you can can do. I think you start to fall in. And at this point, probably wouldn't hurt to stand out a little bit more.
0: This is the time to do that, right? To be a little bit selfish and try to take because Kate ain't out there. Jaden ain't out there. None of those dudes are out there. Like, Boyan's not out there. Burks isn't out there, as, you know, to your point. This is the time it's okay if guys want to take over a little bit and, We'll, we'll end on this one, Omari, because like you said, we are recording this before the game on Monday, so I know you got to get to LCA. But a guy that has absolutely done that, Omari, especially over the last four games, is Isaiah Livers. He tied his career high and then you know beat his career high last game on Saturday versus the Pacers. His last four games, field goal attempts of 12, 12, 9, and 20, three-point attempts of 8, 9, 3, and 10. Isaiah Livers is is doing what you just said. He's saying, hey, these dudes aren't there. I'm going to operate in ball screens. I'm going to shoot in the mid-range. I'm going to take whatever three-pointers I want. I don't know that this is his ultimate role. It is kind of cool to see him spread his wings a little bit and show a little bit more of an all-around game.
1: Uh, Isaiah livery says, I mean, you mentioned his shot of tips uh, being hired. we like I mean, not just taking 20 <laughs> on, uh, on Saturday, which I could comfortably say is a career high. I don't even need to look that up. Uh, he has been a little bit more aggressive. He's been getting to the rim on cuts, even taking in the stuff a little bit more. Uh, we've seen the flash his mid range a little bit more. And I, I like his game. I like his game. I thought he had a rough start on Saturday. And like he shot like 35% overall, seven for twenty, but it really wasn't as bad as it looked. I mean, he's take he's taking shots he doesn't normally take, trying to lift a team that's missing most of his key scores. But I like I like his game a lot. Like I like his two way potential. And I think going forward with him, especially when the pistons get more playmaking back next season with, you know, Cade Cunningham, obviously, I really do think he's a guy that could have a pretty big leap next season because he just plays the game the right way. Um, he's really shown off some good shot making over the last week and he's got all the, all the tools to be the ideal three and D wing. I really like his guy.
0: Yeah, I like his game, too. I was a little bit down as the season went on, but here maybe he'll finish off on a strong note. That'll lead into a big offseason. And then next year, where I do think he has real potential to be in the rotation. I don't know about starting lineup, but in the rotation. Amari, that's going to do it for us. Again, we want to thank Matt Babcock, the Matt Babcock Show, brought to you by Title League, wherever you listen to podcasts, Cerebro Sports, and to make sure here in about a month over at Draft Digest, Draft Digest Pro, he'll be dropping his big board, doing all sorts of big things over there. Omari, have fun at the game tonight. Eat some pizza with, what is it, hot honey. Why don't you throw some yeah. bacon on there? Maybe some chips. I don't know. Like, whatever you got to do to make it good. It's always a great time, my man. Uh, take it away.
1: Absolutely. I actually think bacon is a bad topping on pizza, but that is a discussion for another you day. You absolutely yeah. would. Of course you do. I actually talked to Wes and Mike about this on Saturday and they both agreed that is overpowering. So just the West a lot of Omari West synergy today. i was, like I'll just say, say that. Yeah.
0: Which explains why you always win sheet or <laughs> No, no that no was an admission admission of guilt and proves the conspiracy.
1: No, nah, there's no conspiracy. There's no conspiracy. I would never do that. I'll go ahead and close this out on that note. Um, big thanks to Robert Chan our audio producer extra special shout out to us today we'll talk to you all next week